Um, so um, you're in a race. Uh, you're a finalist. Uh, you you walk through the tunnel entrance onto the field, and the noise of the crowd is is deafening. Um, stepping out into the arena, you're aghast at the size of uh, the race course. But especially, you almost faint at the size of the gathered crowd. There are hundreds and hundreds of thousands all looking down on you and cheering. And suddenly, you discover you recognize many of them. Folks uh, from your church who have gone before you. you, you were there at their funeral. But there they are, happy and holy and cheering you on. And even more amazing, you recognize there are other people there you've never met before in your life, but whom you instinctively recognize as famous men and women of the Bible. There's a whole section filled with, with people you've been reading about in Hebrews 11. There's Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Moses and the prophets and Sarah and Rahab and Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and countless others, and they're cheering you by name and urging you to start. And they start running. And, and suddenly you realize you're, you're not even sure when, where the race ends. But everyone on the stands seem to, uh, to know, and they, they keep urging you forward. You do know this much. This is no 20-yard dash. This is no sprint, this race. This is going to be a long, hard race. There's only one thing that counts, and that's finishing. And for those who finish, there is a triumphant finish. And they will join with the others and take their place in the stands and cheer the church along. Don't you see, you and I are in this race. We, we read about it in Hebrews, the first three verses of chapter 12. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Hear now these verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, uh, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking at Jesus, the author and founder of our faith and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despise the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, there it is. And the idea of Christian life being like a race is certainly not unique to the book of Hebrews. Um, but it is uh, interesting. I mean, the, young, uh, the Apostle Paul, you recall, spoke of this. Writing to his young protege, Timothy, he says, I fought the fight. Fight, I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now, it's important probably to remember the context of, or the backstory of this letter to the Hebrews. It's being written to a congregation of Jewish converts who are experiencing um, some hardships and persecutions. And they are about to apostatize. They're considering apostatizing. They're wondering if they shouldn't throw everything off and just, and just 
their confession to Christ and all and return to the bonds of the law of Judaism. And the writer is urging them, admonishing them not to do that. Uh, he, he tells them in his letters about all of the excellencies and superiorities of the Lord Jesus. And he warns them that if they turn their back on the Lord, they will have only one place to go. And that is outer darkness. Now, in chapter 11, <clears throat> he gives us, of course, this long list of, a, of illustrious men and women of the Old Testament age who, who lived out their lives uh, before coming the coming of the Lord Jesus and, and yet managed to maintain a steadfast, unrelenting, saving faith despite many considerable obstacles. They ran the race. They finished well. And the author of the Hebrews, referring to them as, as the list of Hebrews in chapter 11, calls them a great cloud of witnesses. Uh, therefore, he says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, uh, let us cast off every hindrance and run the race that is set before us. So we're to regard our lives in this age, at least one way to look at it is as a race. Uh, but as I conclude this series of, uh, from Hebrews 11 this evening, uh, we want to go back and answer again the question and summarize what we have seen in all of these heroes of the faith. How, how do we run the race after all? And I give it in three words. Light, long, and focused. Well, let's see. I do have a little whacker somewhere. The first, um, the first thing uh, in this trilogy of, of requirements... Uh, let's see, if it, it's not behaving any better today. Then. Take that. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason, it doesn't like to help it. Okay. So the first thing is to run light. Um, we're urged in the text, lay aside every weight and the sin that so clings to us so closely. Now, when I was in college, um, they, they had a um, they had a cross country running team at this place, um, and the college newspaper uh, always referred to them as the thin clads. That was the way they always referred to them, the thin clads, um, and I suppose uh, that was because no matter what the weather was like, whether it was whether it was you know cold or hot or rain or snow, uh, men and women alike. Uh, wore nothing but skimpy shorts and tops made of the thinnest possible material. Um, I mean, these athletes were running up and down for miles and, and, and through across fields and through streams and, and so forth. And the, the last thing they wanted uh, was heavy, bulky clothing uh, uh, to weigh them down. Um, chronicles of the early settlers uh, who loaded up their Conestoga wagons and headed for free land uh, that was open to homesteaders in the new western states in the early 19th century, record, um, and I've seen records of this, of people seeing all sorts of furniture and heavy items thrown aside, discarded, uh, lying abandoned along these dirt, dirty, rutted roads where 
because people were anxious to get west and when and when the things got tough and they began to lighten the load because they wanted to make sure they would get there they threw off everything but the bare necessities so they would have a chance of making it the point is simply this that you and I must be prepared to lay aside anything that impedes our spiritual progress that might keep us from running the race it might uh, be, not be something that's technically sinful. It, it might be something that just keeps getting in your way of your walk with Christ. The excessive time in front of a, of, a, of a computer screen, watching sports or news or, or playing video games or, or gossiping on social media. Whatever it is, we should be asking ourselves, uh, writes Philip Riken, uh, is this a help or a hindrance to me spiritually? Hindrances can be ambitions, hobbies, associations, friendships, habits, preoccupations. And what might be a stumbling block or an impediment uh, that needs to be thrown out of, of your life may not be a problem for someone else. Each of us must judge for ourselves what may be best stripped off and removed from our lives. Now, why would we do such a thing? Because we see ourselves in this contest, in this race. And one of the basic things for every Christian to recognize and continually remind ourselves, especially in this blessed country, is that we are not like other people. Uh, we are not just philosophically uh, uh, different, you know, and have philosophical differences in the way we look at the world. Uh, we are essentially different. We are in essence different because we are the blood-bought born-again children of God. Now, we find the scriptures describe us with expressions like pilgrims and sojourners and aliens and strangers passing through life with our eyes on the prize and another world, athletes running a race. And because for us, reality for us does not consist, uh, not, is not accurately described or understood simply by prizes and accomplishments and possessions and the treasures of this world. We have eternity in our hearts. Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that. We have eternity in our hearts. We, we recognize that we're spiritual people with eternal souls and heaven to gain. And all of the which conditions or should conditions our decisions affects our choices and the way we live and the way we behave in life, uh, in this life. We run, we cast aside anything that impedes our progress, anything that weakens your faith, anything that dampens your zeal for Christ or reduces your interest in Christ. needs to be laid aside. The writer also speaks of the sins that cling so closely, or the sin that entangles us and closes us. Now, of course, outright sin must be thrown aside. That's demanded of us throughout the scriptures. Unbelievers are slaves to their sin, which will drag them down to judgment. But we are called to continuously put off the old man of sin, aren't we? And to put on Christ. So if you're not running well because you're encumbered with a worldly lifestyle that relegates your Christian life to nothing more than Sunday morning appearances or attendances, if you have just a small, fainting interest in God's word or God's way, 
If your heart is cold to spiritual things with no love for the worship of God and no concern for the progress of the kingdom. Well, you're not like, like a greyhound springing uh, out of the gate uh, from the race and tearing down the, to the finish, but, but rather like some crazy old ship with its hull covered with barnacles and limpets and slime dragging old cables and, and, and lines and crab traps slowly lumbering, laboring through the water. Uh, it's an open question whether this craft will ever get to port. Uh, and the onlookers, the crowd in the stands, they're not cheering. They're silent. They're watching in sorrow ever more fearful that with each passing Lord's Day, the next storm, the next passing squall will put you under and you'll never make it to the finish line. You must lay aside every weight and the sin that clings to us so closely because we know there is a prize. Now, the second thing is to run long. We run light and we run long. Let us run with endurance, the text tells us, the race set before us. Uh, Your long race is uh, is not my race. Um, The race set before each of us is different and in many regards incomparable with others. Uh, For some, uh, their race may seem to be very long and very hard. And we look at them and we wonder. Um, We may think to ourselves, how could... How could they endure that? Or, contrary-wise, we may look at our own circumstances and think, well, this isn't so bad. Or perhaps we think, well, this is terrible. No one's suffered like this. But God's grace is sufficient for all of his precious children. And one thing that we should always remember about this race is that God is for us and not against us. He's for us. God doesn't, doesn't... wait for you to wake in the morning rubbing his hands with glee over the stumbling blocks and foot snares and and hardships that he's devised to set before you throughout the day. Oh, well, get him this time. (laughs) To trip you up. Not at all. Uh, While you're running the course, he he doesn't jump out of the bushes to rattle you and throw you off your pace with with the surprise. Uh, There are obstacles and, and to our faithful passage. And we live in a sinful, wicked world. There's no friend to our souls. And I, for one, cannot, I can't possibly explain why some of these things happen to us. Maybe we'll understand in eternity. But I know this, that God loves us. He loves you with an everlasting love. And he's for you. He's assisting you. He, he's cheering on. He's with that crowd. Uh, God, the Holy Spirit, Uh, The helper, uh, the partner, is with you at every turn. Uh, But come what may, we must run with endurance. Uh, Stuart Elliott says it so well. He says there's only one way to keep going in the life of faith and to enter into the promised reward. It is a state of mind which says, whatever happens, however I feel, whether I am on my own or in company, Even if I'm laughed at, whatever it costs me, I'm going to keep going. Come what may, and you will. 
Uh, you will receive strength from above. Such determination is what it means to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. To the believers in Thyatira, Jesus said, I know your works, your love, your faith and service and patient endurance. God knows and gives grace, but we must run with endurance. So that brings us to the third thing. How do we run the race? We run light. Let us lay aside every uh, hindrance and the weight that so easily ascends, so easily encumbers us. Uh, and then we run long. Uh, we let us run with endurance for the race set before us. And finally, this last thing: we need to run focused. Verse two: looking to Jesus. This race, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, that's not just fancy rhetoric. There's something to those verses, that verse. Remember that uh, all the, <clears throat> the faith runners that have gone before us, regardless of who they are or where they were, or everywhere in the Bible, everyone, and every Christian runner since, regardless of what course they ran, had this one thing in common. They all had their eyes on Jesus. And I do like the way it's translated in the New American Standard. Fixing your eyes, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Yeah, fixing, focusing our eyes on Jesus. Not so distracted either by the pleasures of the race or the agonies of the race that we take our eyes uh, off of um, of the prize, the, the prize of the race, which is Jesus. Uh, not just heaven, it's Jesus in heaven. If you got to heaven and Jesus wasn't there, it wouldn't be even close to heaven. Um, and of course, in the lore of athletics and, and racing, the cautionary tale of the runner who, who at the last minute, uh, even slightly turns his head and takes his eyes off of the goal, then he looks at the guy next to him, uh, loses. It's, it's proverbial. Um, whatever happens in our lives, we must never lose sight of, and certainly uh, of the centrality of the Lord Jesus. Now, the last great hero of the faith in Hebrews is Jesus, because he's the one who ran the race before us. A race like none other race. That's why he's named here as the author and pioneer of our faith. You can't say nobody ever suffered like the way I've suffered. Nobody ever had a race like this. Because Jesus did. And, and, and in Jesus, faith reaches um, its perfection. The whole life of Christ, writes Philip Edgecombe Hughes, was characterized by unbroken, unquestioning faith in his heavenly Father, and never more so than when in Gethsemane he committed himself to his Father's hands for the ordeal of the cross with the words, not what I will, but what thou wilt. It was sheer faith in God, unsupported by any visible or tangible evidence that carried him through the taunting, the scourging, the crucifying, the bitter agony of rejection, desertion, in dereliction. Come down off the cross and we'll believe you, they said. But had he come down, 
uh, or by some gesture of supernatural power, um, had, um, had somehow given them some, some credence to, to doing that, uh, he would never have been hailed as the perfecter of our faith, nor would he have been any example for us to follow. To die by crucifixion was to plumb the deepest depths of disgrace. It was a punishment reserved only for the, uh, those deemed to be the un- men most unfit to live. It was too horrible and demeaning. Uh, no Roman citizen could be crucified. Crucifixion was reserved for slaves and criminals of the lowest degree. Why ever would Jesus do such a thing? The answer to the text is, is very good. And it's given to us. He did it for the joy set before him. Verse 2. Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus' joy was to sit next to his Father, having completed his messianic chore, his great redemptive work, while all of heaven stood by, roaring with cheers. He endured the cross to qualify as our Savior to suffer in our place. That was his joy, to be your Savior. That was his joy. So we run with our eyes on him, who alone can bring us through the race, and uh, before whose eyes uh, we race. Uh, we also are told that, uh, we, uh, that he's the founder and perfecter of our faith. Our eyes are on Jesus for that reason. Um, the Bible tells us here in verse 2 uh, that very point. And faith begins with Jesus. We, we look to Jesus for faith. If you're, if you're standing looking up at Heartbreak Hill and you're wondering how you'll ever be saved or gain entrance into heaven, the only answer is, of course, is that we cast ourselves upon Christ and ask for saving faith, sanctifying faith, faith to get up over that hill and into eternal heaven with Jesus. Jesus is called the founder or architecture of our faith because he made faith possible by his redemption. And he's the perfecter of our faith alone because he alone makes us perfect through the gift of his righteousness which is freely given or imputed to his people. We are by faith clothed with the righteousness of Christ and his Holy Spirit and progressively sanctifies us and makes us more holy and, and more like himself. And never give up. I say that again to myself and to you. We simply cannot give up the race. Uh, the third and last verse of the text reads, Consider him who endured uh, from the hands of sinners such hostility uh, against himself that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. Urging us, you see, to uh, consider the endurance of the Lord. Nothing to her deterred him from his saving purpose. Not the anger or rejection of men, nor the enormity or the trickery of the devil. Stuart Aliot suggests that uh, giving up may take place in one of two ways. Some people leave the race through sudden collapse. Um, they just collapse. Others um, experience a gradual breakdown of stamina. Little by little, they lose strength until they just give up. One is as dangerous as the other because 
both lead people to drop out of the race completely. There may be someone here who's, who's never even started the race and may question the whole idea of a race or a contest. But I want you to know by the authority of God that in this revealed world that, that, word that everyone is in the race. Everybody has entered into this contest. Um, I was at a, an event over at the, um, uh, the fair and there was a little girl who was, uh, uh, did a, a, a sheep race thing, you know. She was so small. I don't think she entered herself into that thing. I think her parents entered her into that race. She didn't have any choice about it. Get on the knee. <laughs> she fell off, was crying. <laughs> she had, so, you know, what I'm trying to say is, we, we, you know, everybody's entered. <laughs> You're entered into, into this contest. Everyone's into the race, whether they recognize it or not. And seriously, we really do have only two alternatives. We can run the race and seek to run it well, laying aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily entangles us. We can run with endurance and a race by the grace of God, never quitting, never giving up, knowing that absolutely nothing can keep a professing Christian out of heaven except the failure to persevere. Or you can drop out. And, and, and face eternal ruin. That would be a terrible decision. But we are indeed surrounded, aren't we, by this great cloud of witnesses, of people we know who ran the race. Can't you name them? Some of you have family members. We can run together. We can help one another and, and, and get up when we fall and cheer one another on when we flag and gasp for breath. But we must run with endurance and get our reward and take our place in the stands with those who finished their race before us. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this um, way that we can uh, conclude our study of Hebrews by reminding ourselves uh, that we are, are indeed uh, might think of ourselves in a, a great race and we want to run light and we want to run focused and we want to run... Uh, Lord, with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Uh, enable us so to do, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.